your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Martinez gets the shotgun snap, has plenty of time. Holding, holding, looking, throwing deep downfield. Has Spielman open at the 25. He's got it at the 20, 15, jukes the defender. 10, 5, touchdown, Nebraska. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. We're back. It's been a while since we've had a little Sports Nightly action in studio. Glad to be back with you. Thank you for being a part of this one tonight. Here's what we have coming up on the program. Evan Bland of the Omaha World-Herald is going to join us. He wrote a piece about the four Cornhuskers that are in Indianapolis this week. Going through the combine, Darian Daniels, Carlos and Khalil Davis, and Lamar Jackson. We'll see what Evan dug up as he did some research about those four players and how highly they are thought of around the National Football League. So looking forward to that conversation with Evan here later on in the hour. Hour number two, it's our men's basketball show for the week. Matt Abdelmasi will be in studio to talk Husker hoops. Nebraska coming off of a, another tough one last night in Champaign. Dropped a 71-59 game to the Fighting Illini. Our third hour, Amy Williams will be in studio as well. Amy uh, will be here to talk with Matt Coatney. The women have just one, unbelievable, just one regular season game left. Next week's their tournament in Indianapolis. The men are two weeks away from the uh, Big Ten tournament going on, but the women's tournament is next week. And as always, phone lines are open and available for you at 866-HUSKER-1, 866-487-5371. We welcome Ben McLaughlin back from his two-week stay in San Diego where you did some recon work and then you had, you did do some games while you're out there. So you did do a little bit of work while you're in Southern California. I, I would say I, I would love to just move out there and stay out there, but I might be, be able to afford it for another month before <laughs> I would uh, – I'd have to go somewhere a lot cheaper. That place is no joke yeah. when it comes to paying for stuff. Slightly pricey, <clears throat> isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. Um, but – different lifestyle out there a lot of carefree living and uh you know people doing whatever they want to do so yeah definitely definitely different i've spent quite a bit of time in in maui and it's it's pretty comparable how people treat life out there what was gas like 430 or something like that a gallon yeah. for gasoline it was Yikes. pretty ridiculous and pretty we ridiculous. we didn't get to see it but we were like a few hundred yards away from a huge basketball upset at san diego state lost for the first time this season um a building over from where the ballpark was that we were on saturday it was kind of cool um checking out sdsu's campus we we had been to san diego before and again on friday and as much as i love that ballpark and that that campus is pretty dang cool too kind of sits up on the hill with the southwestern architecture is is pretty dang cool but you know it's always fun being on a on a different campus that you've never been before especially it's kind of fun walking around that night because as we were making our way to the ballpark, everybody was funneling into the game. And uh, it was pretty clear that they love their Aztec hoops out there. And why not? You know, you're the last unbeaten team in college basketball. And I guess we brought bad luck with us. We did. I uh, got to be by UNLV uh, that night. Let's start with baseball. Um, Huskers go 0-3 in the Tony Gwynn Classic. Three tight games, two one-run losses, a two-run loss. The Friday night game was really disappointing with Nebraska having big leads in two different occasions in that game, unable to hang on to it. But much cleaner baseball played the next two days. 
against really quality teams. San Diego State picked to win the Mountain West. Arizona nationally ranked. And the play here, their play there, and it was a difference in the game. And it's kind of been that way really for this team, been to the first two weeks of the season. And unfortunately, they've dug a bit of a hole here at one and five. Yeah, they have. I mean, the there's a couple of ways to look at kind of the early portion, especially the first two or three weekends. And that is, number one, it's a great opportunity to steal some wins against some good competition and, you know, believe it or not, resume builders for the end of the year. It's 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 great, especially when you're playing in the Big Ten and not as many schools are committed to – it's gotten better, but still some schools aren't committed to putting their schedule in a way to really help the league in terms of RPI. Um, that's really your only shot to, to grab a couple marquee wins – but at the same time, you know, and I have to remind myself this every year is, you know, anybody that follows baseball, college or pro know that it's a long season. And if you're already jumping on or off the bandwagon through six games, um, you know, you're going to be in for, you know, a very long season. Um, I feel like the, the important thing to keep in mind is w- what type of caliber of baseball are you seeing? And what's the ceiling of potential that you're watching? And I think the reason why Friday was so disappointing is because the caliber of baseball that Nebraska played in two of the three facets was not good enough. And I think that's where our disappointment came leaving Friday is, you know, in terms of the pitching and the defense, we didn't walk out of there thinking that that's the caliber of baseball that gets a team into a regional. That's where the frustration came in. Yeah, they scored 11 runs and had 18 hits in that game, but um, you score 11 runs on Friday and lose. There's some things going on. Now you go to Saturday and Sunday, and and Saturday was a step in the right de- direction. It was better. The, the The number of mistakes was down, but when those mistakes happened were at the worst possible time, and Nebraska walked away with a loss. Then on Sunday was the most complete effort that we saw. You know, the pitching was great. Cade Povich pitched very well. Kyle Perry continued to pitch very well. Um, and defensively, Nebraska didn't have any errors. And so I think, you know, in retrospect, when you look back at those three games, is one and five good? No, uh, that's that's a sour record. And, you know, when you look at just that number alone, you don't feel very good about the weekend or really going back to Waco. But, you know, realistically, Nebraska is two or three pitches away from being four and two or at the very least three and three. I know you can't get those games back, but – the thing that has me feeling better now is maybe I did when I was getting on the airplane to San Diego from from San Diego to home is when you look at what the ceiling of this team is when they can put all three facets of this game together they're going to be pretty good and I think you couple that with the fact of the mentality of their head coach and how Coach Bolt and Coach Christie and Coach Harvell and Coach Marcuso want to you want their teams to look mentally I think this team's going to be pretty good by the end of the year. So, yeah, you're upset and disappointed with 0-3, but I think big picture, long-term, long season, things are going to turn out all right. Yeah, I changed my my thought process a lot from Friday to Sunday. I Really hard to just even keep your emotions in check when you blew the leads that they did Friday night. But then to watch them come back and pitch the way they did on the mound both Saturday and Sunday. Colby Gomez was outstanding, five-plus innings. You mentioned Povich. He was really good. He's been really good both starts. In fact, through two starts, he has 15 Ks, one walk. That'll play. And so when I step back and look at the first six games, the starting pitching that's going to be predominantly starting pitching throughout the year with Stroh, Gomez, and Povich, 
You like that, and you like that in a lot of the matchups coming up on the weekends moving forward for this team. I felt better about that, and you mentioned Kyle Perry. Now, he has thrown two solid appearances out of the bullpen. I know they want to get him built up more to maybe be able to start him at some point in time, but he's really been unhittable in his first two outings against two pretty good teams in Baylor and Arizona. That was really encouraging. The bats cooled off, but I'm not overly concerned about that because I think there's some good hitters up and down that lineup. There is, and I think the one thing that Coach Bolt, and I think it was a bit of a reality check too. You know, I think you kind of look at uh, baseball as, as in general as a sport. You can't expect to have 15 hits and 10 runs every game or score 11 runs in an inning. It's, it's inconceivable that's going to happen. To be a good baseball team, you have to be able to win games 10 to 8. You also have to be able to win games three to one, two to one. It, it's just the way over the course of a season, you have to find ways to do that. And, you know, I think the one thing with the offense that Coach Bolt was probably a little disappointed about, Saturday felt like they were really passive in the strike zone. I think that was a lesson. You know, we got to constantly be aggressive, specifically early in the counts. And then on Sunday, just wasn't happy overall with just the approach at the plate. Um, you know, not attacking baseballs and using the whole field. I thought – you know, he was very disappointed with the way that Nebraska swung the bats. But if you can drill home that message of, you know, keeping that consistent approach offensively at the same time, um, you know, piecing together the the pitching that we saw and, you know, find a way to play clean defense around him. That was the thing about Saturday that had me disappointed was, you know, it was hard to place blame on anyone because every, everywhere kind of faltered when it needed to not, uh, you know, blessy. The inning starts with a hit-by-pitch from Gomez, and Blessy walks a couple of guys, but then he gets the double play ball. You know, there are things that, that happen, you know, in that game that everybody's a little bit guilty about. And so the thing that we talked about a lot on that broadcast on Saturday against San Diego State, it's hard to play error-free physically and mentally for nine innings. But when you make an error, have it happen in a situation that's not going to kill you. You know, San Diego State had a couple of errors in that game, but they got the next guy out with two outs, and it never hurt them. You know, when Nebraska made their mistakes, the go-ahead runs were on base with two outs, and it ended up being the, the difference in the game. Won't get any easier. 12th-ranked Arizona State awaits the Huskers this weekend in Tempe, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday afternoon games. Ben will be out in Tempe along with Nick Hanley for the call of those three games. Normally, we would cover a baseball weekend on Monday. We did not have a Monday show because Husker basketball played in Champaign last night. In fact, it was about 24 hours ago that we learned that Cam Mack was not going to play for Nebraska last night, that he's got this stomach bug that hit Deshaun Burke a few weeks ago. And, man, you talk about getting kind of the wind knocked out of you before they even put the ball in the air to tip it off. That was it right there, not having Cam Mack playing a really solid Illinois team that's an NCAA tournament team. But doggone, Ben, that, that team competed hard last night. I was really proud of watching that team play. And I know it's still a loss. It's still the, this run of, of, of string of losses continues. But I, I felt like Coach Hoiberg got about everything he could out of that basketball team last night in, in Champaign. Well, I think that's, that's why you continue to be optimistic. And I saw this last night from somebody, and I, I wish I could give them credit for saying it because I don't remember who it was, but – it's not often you see a team that now has a school record losing streak and a school record in losses and feel like they're very well coached. I mean, imagine that for a second, you know, a team that's won seven games and feel like they're very well coached and they do what they're coached to do. Um, I feel like, you know, you, you think about that team in 2015 that was coming off the, the NCAA tournament 
and returned everybody and you felt like this was our year. The reason why that season was so disappointing is because that team underperformed so badly of what their talent level was. They never got to what where everybody knew they could be in terms of the talent and what it could do on the floor. This year, they, they have half the amount of wins, and I don't feel like there's very much disappointment as a whole, or at least somebody that you know watches this team and understands basketball would tell you they're about they're about maxing out in terms of where they could be um, in terms of talent, depth, matchups. All there's not much more that this team could give you than what. It's not like yes, their free throw shooting is is poor at times. Yes, you know, three point shooting can can come and go, but. I think in terms of how they play, the way they play with each other, um, trying to make up for the deficiencies in size on the rebounding aspect of it, there's not much more you could get out of this group than what you are right now. I just think you know, having the, the two posts in this league uh, that has to compete every night, think about the guys we're watching right now. Guards are shooting free throws and Tillman's lining up in the block. You got a 17-year-old kid that's never played collegiate basketball before or anything close to this level, and you got an 18-year-old true freshman in Kevin Cross. You know, you're just you're deficient in so many areas that I don't know how much more these coaches can get out of these guys. Yes, there have been times during this 12-game stretch where they haven't played good basketball. The Penn State game in the second half, this Iowa team, there was a stretch where they're not playing well. They're not perfect, and and nor should they be. But I think for the most part, losing 12 games in a row you just assume, oh, they're going to get blown out by 25 to an NCAA tournament team on the road. It's just not been the case. You know, tied at halftime and having a lead in the second half and having it slip away late, I, ju- I just feel like in terms of the meter, the potential meter, they're about they're about full. Udrago might have played his best game as a Husker last night. 11 and 10, he had the double-double against Coburn, who's an outstanding a prospect center for Illinois. I thought Ivan battled his tail off in that game last night. And you know it's just not your year when the other team's throwing in three-quarter court shots right before the halftime buzzer. Nebraska's opponents this year on last-second shots are about 94%, it seems like, going into the half. Yeah, it's crazy how many times that's happened to them and just honestly kind of shifted things when you go into the locker room. Gosh, instead of being down three, you're down six, and crazy crazy. In fact, at one point in the second half, there might have been about 13 minutes to go. I think it was – well, it was tied at 46, I believe – Nebraska would have been up three. That stinking 75-foot shot doesn't go in. I mean, mm-hmm. just crazy. I, I, I think all Husker fans had to be proud watching that game last night, knowing that they haven't given up and that there are really bright days ahead for this program. Again, Matt Abdomasi will be in studio next hour uh, to talk as our men's basketball show coming up in hour number two. So those are some of the topics we're dealing with here tonight. 866-HUSKER-1, 866-487-5371. When we come back, Evan Bland will join us. He did a little preview piece of the Huskers headed to Indianapolis for the NFL Combine. There are four of them there this year. We'll talk to Evan about all that coming up next. We're back. Sports Highlight Tuesday night. Greg Sharp and McLaughlin with you. Men's basketball show coming up at the top of the hour. Matt Abdelmasi will be in studio to talk Husker hoops. Right now, though, delighted to have Evan Bland of the Omaha World Herald with us. You can also read his work online at Omaha.com. I wasn't sure I would be able to lasso Evan tonight. I figured you'd be at the Kiss concert, the face makeup on. You'd be rocking away over there at PBA with Kiss tonight. Ha-ha. <laughs> Right. I mean, those are obviously my people, but uh, just didn't work out into the schedule. So I'm glad it worked out this way. Actually, you are uh, you're probably far too young to even really appreciate Kiss. They were way before your time. 
Oh, I mean, I, I have some way. awareness of. They, um, yeah, I, I have some knowledge of the band. I, I appreciate them. I watch Family Guy. <laughs> there you go. Exactly, that was their kind of comeback with that thing going on there. Uh, I, I wanted to get you on. You had a great piece over the weekend about the Huskers that are headed. They're in Indianapolis right now at the Combine, and you reached out and talked to some folks. And what'd you learn? What'd you learn about these four Huskers that are headed there? And what are their prospects? Yeah, it's it, it's interesting to kind of compile all the different opinions and evaluations. Had a chance to talk to uh, Mel Kiefer Jr. from ESPN and Daniel Jeremiah, who's a former scout now with uh, NFL Network and just kind of look at a, at a number of other uh, mocks and sites and things like that. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny because some of the stuff is, is, is related to the things the Husker fans know well, like the Lamar Jackson joke about how, you know, there's already a quarterback in the NFL by that name. Like Nebraska fans made that joke, you know, three years ago, but it's just now kind of matriculating up. Um, but, you know, I, I think when it comes to their prospects uh, this week and in the draft, there were certainly some commonalities. I think Lamar Jackson, uh, the corner, uh, certainly was a guy that most teams and evaluators felt like stood out for a lot of reasons. You know, one, they like his size as a corner, 6'2". Obviously, he had a, a, a kind of a breakout senior season for Nebraska, and so uh, many of the, the media types have kind of tried to kind of dive in and see what that motivation was or what changed for him. I think we have kind of a sense of that here locally that, that coaching was a part of that, but I you know they lay like that, um, you know, on the, on the downside for him, they don't, I think they feel like they need to see more of an ability to stay with uh, speedy receivers down the field for, you know, 10, 15, 20 yards. And, uh, you know, I think with the combine, that's something that he has the chance to prove this weekend is he can show some explosiveness and, uh, a little bit of development, even from the film that he had as a senior a few months ago, that's something that could help his draft stock. He's a guy who most uh, evaluators see going in anywhere from the third to the fourth, maybe the fifth round. But NFL teams need corners, and he's a guy uh, who certainly is is on a lot of teams' radars. Uh, Darian Daniels, people like his motor, as as we know from talking to him here. Uh, his interview skills are off the charts. He has big personality. He's a leader type, obviously coming here to Nebraska and becoming a co-captain quickly. The thing with him uh, that people are concerned a little bit about is can he get after the passer? You know, as much as the NFL is about throwing the football around, um, you know, can he show kind of that short range explosiveness too to maybe shed a block and get to that quarterback now it sounds like most people believe he will get drafted maybe in the sixth or the seventh round uh they like certainly his ability as a as a space eater uh and, and he's a guy who too you know he, he had on social media recently that he was down to 310 pounds and he played closer to 330 his senior season at nebraska so you know you never know about what kind of off-season training might have gone into it what kind of differences he might have made uh, physically, and then you know Carlos and Khalil Davis are there too, and generally people like Khalil Davis a little bit more. I think it was uh, Daniel Jeremiah from NFL Network said he had shotgun hands, just the way that he can kind of uh, blow off a blocker. And he he too is someone interesting who a lot of scouts said they feel like at the next level he would be best utilized uh, as an interior lineman. And of course at Nebraska he kind of rotated around. So um, you know if he can maybe find a niche on the inside, he has a chance. To possibly be drafted, but certainly seems like a lot to find a, a, a home as, as a free agent. And then, you know, Carlos Davis, uh, I think people have said 
he needs to maybe work on his leverage. He, he plays a little bit too high is what I heard from a couple different people. Um, probably not likely to get drafted, but again, someone who can catch on and, uh, you know, find a team that could use someone at the very least on the practice team or something like that, or on the scout team. So um, four guys that are there this weekend, I think all four have a chance to improve their stock when it comes to the NFL draft in April. And, you know, we'll just uh, kind of have to see how it goes. Visiting again with Evan Bland of the Omaha World Herald. You can read his work and read the piece that we're referencing tonight at Omaha.com. I don't think of Carlos and Khalil as small by any means, Evan, but in some ways they might be when you look at the Giants that play along the defensive line in the NFL. I, I, I'm, I, am, I, am I off base to be concerned for them that they may not be quite big enough to play in the league? Well, yeah, I mean, I think they would prefer to be a little bit bigger. Now, I, I think it's worth – remembering i mean think about all the changes that those two went through at nebraska all the different defensive schemes where they were you know assigned or tasked to play along the line um and and i think you know when it comes to the nfl they're receiving maybe a little bit more streamlined information about look this is where we think you can play again i mentioned khalil in the middle i think carlos generally has that same uh, kind of report to him that maybe he'd be better on the interior. So it'll be interesting this week when the measurements start coming out on some of these things, maybe just how much weight the Davis twins have added. You know, uh, it's certainly possible in the last three or four months that they've decided to bulk up a little in that regard. And, um, you know, again, I, I think that the consensus has been they've worked better in more of a 4-3 type defense as a as interior uh, lineman. And so, you know, they're going to, attract teams that run those schemes and uh, will have a whole offseason to really kind of mold their bodies in a really specific way. Maybe where at Nebraska they were valued more for their versatility moving across the line. So I, I think I think you're right, Greg. It'll be interesting to see what their bodies look like here this week. And, you know, again, if they show well and they measure well, uh, teams can never have enough defensive linemen. And I think they have the – you know, the work ethic and the frames that they could get a little bit bigger. And so we'll just have to see, you know, here real soon what kind of offseason work they've been putting in. You're right. It's it's so much about measurements. And I, I think that the 40 time last year probably really prevented Stanley Morgan from getting drafted. Big, big to do yesterday was that Joe Burrow had small hands. I mean, everybody thinks he's still the number one quarterback. I saw Darian Daniels tweeted this afternoon, time for the biggest interview of his life, and he called it the Underwear Olympics. I mean, they poke and prod. It's unbelievable what they do with these guys, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, and it's so interesting because you're talking about all these media types, all these NFL scouts, all these NFL coaches are there, and you don't really know what each individual one's looking at. Right. Like, like Darian put it out, you know, the interview is huge for some guys who maybe have the measurables, but teams aren't sure where their heads are. And then there are other guys who were great interviews and, and, you know, sound character guys who it's like, well, let's, let's see what their 40 time is or how explosive they are. So there are all these different things. And of course you, you evaluate game tape from their college seasons and, Oftentimes, maybe they view these measurements as tiebreakers in situations with how they're viewing certain prospects. So, I mean, absolutely, the guys that are there, the 300-plus prospects this week, they got to be on their game because any little thing that they do might be that difference maker and where they get drafted. Uh, and then, of course, that sets your whole 
career in motion. So certainly a, a huge week in terms of prospects for these guys. And, I, and there are so many people who follow the combine. It's almost like they follow that more than they do the regular season of the NFL. It's crazy. You mentioned the word prospects, Evan. I'm going to turn this now to the current Husker football team because three of these four guys that we've been talking about have departed Nebraska's defensive line. How do you look at that group as we're now oh, a couple of weeks still away from spring ball beginning? But how about the defensive line for Husker football as we look look ahead to the fall in 2020? Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, I look at how they used that line last year, and, and they had pretty well a six-man rotation. And like you mentioned, three of those names are gone. So, you know, you have Ben Stilley back. You have uh, DeAndre Thomas back. You have Damian Daniels back. Um, you know, and there's a lot of, I think, proving to be done there with some of those guys. I look at a guy like Damian Daniels. I mean, he, he played some quality snaps, but I don't, I don't think he played maybe the volume of snaps that they were looking for. So, you know, you wonder if he'll continue on in his role or if he'll uh, find a way to increase that. And then, man, there's just a lot of guys you can look at and, and say, uh, you hope that the offseason treated them well. You know, you hope a guy like Keen Green, who uh, showed up late to camp uh, through, you know, no fault of his own, just with the, the academic situation, didn't have a chance to learn the defense. So where is he, you know, in terms of that? Uh, Casey Rogers had another offseason to get bigger and stronger. So how is he showing up? Uh, Ty Robinson, same thing, got a, a little taste of Big Ten football last year. So how does he look? And, you know, I think those are probably where you would start especially this spring. Um, and then, of course, you factor in guys like Burton Riley from the junior college ranks. Uh, we'll, we'll get into the mix here right away, too. So, you know, I, it's certainly a group. I think you can say it has potential, but I also think you can say it's, it's pretty unproven at this point. And, uh, you know, I, in, in terms of the spring and all the position battles and every, all the unknowns, I think that's, that position in particular is right up there and one that I'll be watching because I think that's going to have a big impact on how the 2020 season plays out here this fall. Always does. How do you hold up in the trenches? The Riley kid, now that's a that's an NFL body. I mean, I, I don't know if he can play or not. We'll figure that out in the next couple of years while he's here at Nebraska. But that's that size that you seem like – it seems like to me you see more and more of that on Sundays. Those guys that are six 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 seven. that's my worry for Khalil and Carlos. And maybe they're just not quite tall enough guys – uh, to survive in the league. All right, Evan, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Great stuff. Lynn really enjoyed the piece that you wrote. Uh, what are you What are you working on here in the next couple of days? You got something on your hot plate? Oh well, you know, baseball is always uh, actually going to have a, a recruiting feature probably in the next week or two on uh, one of the folks who's not on campus yet. Uh, Phil Darius Payne, the junior college transfer who's coming in, he has a pretty interesting story. So. Uh, a little bit of that, and then obviously getting ready for spring ball here in just a couple weeks, too. So, uh, you know, it's about to pick up real fast. Can't wait. Be here for you, Noah. Evan, we appreciate it. Thank you. Tonight, it's the Nebraska Basketball Radio Show, right here on the Husker Sports Network. Under a minute to go in the half. Burke across the timeline. This He pops from three. Got it! The tie of the game at 36. Nation Burke is on fire! An inside look at what's going on around Nebraska basketball. Sideline pass to Cheatham. He comes left off the Ivan screen. Pick and pop. As Ivan's got it inside against Coburn. Puts it up and then he muscled him up and scored the ball. Head-to-head against the seven-footer. Tonight... Assistant coach 
Matt Abdulmasi. Floater in the lane. It's short. Rebound to Cheatham. Huskers can tie it with a two. The drive and the layup up and good on the assist by Cheatham. It's Gervais Green with the tying layup. It's 46 apiece. Sponsored in part by your Midwest Ford dealers. Visit online at yourmidwestforddealers.com. Now here's your host of the Nebraska Basketball Radio Show, Ben McLaughlin. Thank you and welcome to Nebraska Men's Basketball Radio Hour. I'm Ben McLaughlin, joined in studio by Nebraska assistant coach Matt Abdel Massey. Coach, I know it's uh, tough times right now, losing 12 in a row. It's it's never fun for anybody, but let's just start first with uh, kind of the mood of the boys since you've been since you've been back from Champagne and you know how they took this one. I know it's just same story, different chapter. You know, playing their butts off for 40 minutes, getting so close, and then just you know three four minute stretch, it, it gets away from. Them. But how how they bounce back in the last 12 hours or so? Um, well, today was, uh, was an off day, so we'll get back at it tomorrow, uh, with practice. But I mean, I think, um, they've handled themselves remarkably well. Uh, the resiliency that they show, uh, when you're just looking for one of these games to be an absolute dud, because psychologically it's just so hard to go out there knowing we're shorthanded, knowing psychologically you've lost however many in a row, it's a really tough thing to battle uh, for anyone, let alone, you know, a group of kids. Um, but the way that they've handled themselves speaks volume to, to who they are as kids. Um, of course, Coach Hoiberg with his approach on keeping everything together is, is uh, phenomenal and what he can do to convey to them um, that one of these nights we're not going to give a three up at the end of the first half and go in with the momentum that we owe yeah. and um, carry us to, to somehow get a win and, and break through. And, you know, that's that's what we're going to com- continue to keep working at. I was on a, a show with one of our affiliates today, and uh, they kind of asked me about, you know, what I thought of the, of the team and, you know, really what's happened the last month. And I said the thing that's probably impressed me the most – has been, you know, having the quick interactions with with Coach Hoiberg that that I do, his message has always been the same. You know, the last month, month and a half, all season, really, give me your best effort. Let's continue to try and get better every day. It sounds so cliche, but that's been the most amazing thing to me is because the kids are listening, and and, and they're listening to that. And the message has been the same, and, um, you know, as you said, psychologically to to lace them up every night and not let what's happened – you know, and the entire season affect how you play that night. To me, that's been the most amazing thing about this entire season. Yeah, no no question. You know, the one thing is, is for us, um, you can never lose any type of perspective. Um, You know, we clearly know what we got ourselves into when we stepped into Lincoln in in early April, and we knew what we were up against, and we've been through it before. And, um, you know, mentally – that doesn't make it any better, though, when you're mm-hmm. actually in it. When you're in it, it straight up sucks. Um, for us, as adults, we can handle it. We feel so terrible for those kids that are showing up to practice, doing what's asked of them, doing everything that's asked of them off the court, representing the program the right way. You just want them to break through, and that's the part that is painful. Because we know when we wake up, there's better days ahead, of course. Um, We have that type of confidence and optimism internally. But when you're a kid and this part of it, fans 
don't get because they they shouldn't we're, we're around these kids all day is their their life is flashing in front of them because they have these grandor ideas of you know playing basketball for money one day and when things aren't working well it, it it's really tough mentally and um that's why these kids to me all have a shot to be not only successful in basketball but in life because they're handling the adverse situation of going through this really really well and and one guy that and there's two of them but one guy that I talked to kind of we're having the same conversation I'm having with you right now is Hanif and that was about a week ago it was right Uh after the Maryland game that I had a chance to, to talk with him about that and you know, to even further that microscope a little further for the seniors, yeah, you know, no it may, may be easier for a guy like Ivan or Kevin yeah. because they'll be a part of it um, next year and beyond. But for guys like Hanif and Mate, who unfortunately, you know, had his Nebraska career end, um, that, that's what's so amazing. And, you know, to call it beautiful to me is to have that conversation with Hanif Cheatham, a guy who – knew probably what he was getting into when he came here, knowing that this was going to be a process, probably wasn't going to be a Final Four team, but still want to take that chance and give Nebraska a shot. We might have even talked about this when we were in here doing the show in December, but to have it kind of manifest right now, and the thing that impressed me most most about that conversation, this won't surprise you knowing Hanif, was he's to the point now where he's accepted what this team is, and all he wants to do is enjoy every day being a college basketball player. You know what, you're right about Mate and, and Hanif. They believed when I called them the first time and told them what our situation was, they trusted it and believed in it. And, you know, they were some of the first commitments that we got. Getting a couple grad transfers was absolutely vital for us um, just to try and help mold this roster and try and give us some type of foundation. And um, no matter what happens the rest of this year, those two are going to deserve a lot of the credit when we're cutting down the net somewhere in this country in the future because they believed in us. And that can never be taken for granted when two kids that had options, great options, believed in what we were trying to do here. And uh, there's no question in terms of Mate, just devastating to see a kid that's battled injuries throughout his career in college and the way it did. And then Hanif, you're right, he he finally has accepted that. And, um, you know, it took him a while to accept that. But the way that he's handled himself is exactly how you want um, your senior to handle himself and, and handle his teammates and, and represent the program. What's it like f- for you – personally um I know as coaches you probably are very appreciative as you should be but to be the guy that was selling them on this vision um and not knowing yourself what this thing was going to look like and and you know being the the one that brought them here and then seeing it kind of play out the way that it did and seeing how he fits into your vision what, what what's that feel like as the guy who who brought him here and then seeing you know how well he's really handled this um well how He's handled himself, clearly feel very good about um, who he is as a person, which is why, you know, I made that call to him. Knowing him from his freshman year at at Marquette, um, I knew how he handled himself. I knew how much of a family man he was and and how loyal he was to people that cared for him. Um, 
but you know it it hurts me though too mm-hmm. um you want what's best for the kids you want more and more and more good things to happen for these kids they deserve it um a lot of them had so much so many things that happened in their lives to mold them to where they are today and uh not even close to comparing to the to the adversity um that they see on the court a lot of them times 10 what they've experienced off the court and um so yeah how i feel personally yeah you you feel for them because they deserve more and um you know i just hope that these next two and a half weeks um he goes out and represents himself in this program and continues to do it in, in a way that we've seen and and we hopefully we have some really fun bright moments in, in these next couple weeks and um you know clearly for us as a staff nothing but support for those kids I want to kind of go there next you lose this many in a row and it, and it's not fun and and those I, I've been on those planes after losses and I know what the feeling is in your stomach you 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 know, you go through the film, you go through the, the matchups and the scout, you go through the shoot-arounds, then you go through the games. There's a lot that goes in. It's not mm-hmm. just like you turn the TV on and people watch the game and it's over. There's a lot that goes into every single one of these games, and I know what it's like when you're on the wrong end of it. But they also play this game because they love it. No and, and then one thing I know about this team is they have a lot of fun when they're around each other. So yeah. when when the maybe the, the the laces aren't tied up or when you're in the lounges or you know on the way to a game give us an idea of just what this team is like and how and what they're like to be around because if it was all bad and negative and you know l- losing like attitude things wouldn't be going this yeah. well so clearly something's working off the floor well you wouldn't think when you enter a lounge um or a team plane or team meal that we're on a losing streak which is Certainly a, a nice silver lining to everything that you have your guys acting in a professional way. Um, but, you know, when it comes to the best thing that I can speak on is we've had a couple official visits during this losing streak. And our guys don't have to participate if they don't want to. And it was during Super Bowl Sunday. We had a Super Bowl party. The guys showed up, had a fun time. They didn't have to do that. They represented our program to this kid and family in such a positive light. That speaks volume to the type of character that we have within that locker room on, yeah, I mean, it's not fun going through what we're going through, but they're happy to be where they're at, and they're happy to be playing for a coach and Coach Hoiberg that they believe in and love and trust. And that to me is powerful, um, you know, and that and that to me is what makes everything we're building encouraging. And, um, you know, that will carry us a far way. The other part to this, we've talked a lot about the team and, and some individuals, but this is new for you coaches as well. Um, you know, kind of going through this together. And I know you spent a lot of time with Coach Hoiberg and Coach Sadler, very familiar with Coach Hoiberg and you know, Coach Lutz coming on has been just awesome. And, you know, Coach Gates, you know, for me personally, having him stick around has been has been really cool. But just as a staff, you know, when you're in meetings and in the office and just kind of walking around and you guys are going through this, what's what's this been like as a just maybe a bonding thing and as a learning experience for, for coaches? Yeah, you know what, for me, this is my 10th year. It's actually uh, not new to me. Our first year at Iowa State, we went through it. My first year at St. John's, we lost 17 in a row. Um, 
it doesn't make it any easier, but I will say that the one thing that I've learned is you just have to put your head down and, and do what you know how to do and, and what got me to this point in my career, and that's just to work. And um, that's what I do. I mean, flying all around, trying to make sure that we're securing kids for the future and, and building this thing and couldn't be happier where things are at from that standpoint. But I think as a staff, when you have experience like we do, everyone um, understands that. Um, it doesn't make it any better, but, you know, at the end of the day, when you have the support of each other and um, it, it does make it a little bit easier. And, and I could speak for everybody. The, the biggest thing is, is everyone just feels for those kids mm -hmm. and they want they want them to break through, which is why everyone's just working tirelessly every day to prepare these kids to go out there and, and try and find a way to break through. That's the biggest thing. You know, we're, we'll get over it. We'll be fine. Uh, we know that, but it's we're trying to just break through and, and get it right because those kids deserve it. Talking a lot of big picture here to start the show. I mean, at this point, that's that seems to be most appropriate. <clears throat> but let's let's talk a little bit about last night and, and what happened mm -hmm. in particular in, in the game last night. You knew that Illinois is one of the has been one of the most consistent teams in the league this year, and what Coach Underwood's done with that roster, and you know, not not all that far away from. You know, starting over himself, um, those Sumu and and Coburn, and that's just that's a that's a handful of a roster. Right. When you're when you're putting a plan together, and you're and you guys are as coaches are in there building a plan. What what's the biggest challenge when facing a team like Illinois that you knew you had to do well to to even give yourselves a shot last night? Certainly, get back in transition, and we actually did a great job of that um, for forty minutes. It gave us our uh, gave us a chance especially in that first half, we went a long stretch where we didn't allow any in transition. I mean, that's when they're at their best, when they're out and running. Um, you know, it doesn't matter who you're playing. Limiting easy baskets um, increases the likelihood that you have a chance to win. And making it a half court um, where you're, you're locking these guys up, you're playing the personnel, you're playing the game plan, increases your chances. And you know, last night we gave ourselves a chance. Besides the last whatever it was, uh, you know, 30 seconds with them scoring two uh, threes the way they did, which seems like a recurring theme for the end of first halves for us. You know, we, we played an even first half. and um, But that's the margin for error for us, that instead of going in 31-31, we're down six. Not to say that we came out, we overcame that, came out with the urgency we wanted, but ultimately <laughs> – it's still a gut punch, mm -hmm. you know, that you should be tie game, and you're not. So that that part of it, um, there's only so many blows you can yeah. continue to take to the stomach <laughs> and uh, gasping for air and the little air that we had. We came out and competed, and we just have these moments where we lose our minds and we have back-to-back-to-back -back -back possessions where shot selection suspect and – you know, that might as well be a turnover, and then they come down and it seems like they hit a three, a two, and another three, and all of a sudden it's an eight-point game. And, you know, it seems like a daunting task, even though eight points isn't a lot. When you're losing, it, it is. It's a hard thing to overcome. Um, so that that's the biggest thing. We, we've really consistently played like 28 minutes every single Big Ten game to where we're competing, going a blow-to-blow -blow with all these teams. But we just lose our minds and stretches and – and that's about the growth and that's about the maturity um, that, you know, just it takes time with experience. 
it's only it's only human, you know, me and you and Seamus and whoever but whoever else follows the team, you know, you you walk into that one without Cam and it's only natural to think where this team could could potentially be without him, knowing what he's meant to the team thus far. What did it what did it say to you to see that type of effort without a guy that has been a backbone yeah. to what we do? Oh, I mean, all things considered, I thought it was phenomenal about uh the guys fortitude and and um resiliency that they showed going out there without you know a guy that's leading the league in assists per game and a guy that for the most part gets other guys on the floor easy looks and um so yeah I mean to not have the leader with the ball in your hands that has been consistent for you in his performance of course tough but you know that it's you know, the one thing about these guys is just the next man up mentality. They've been living that with all their high school years and AAU years because kids come and go. Mm-hmm. It's a revolving door. They're used to it. So they handle it probably better than anybody really would expect. Um, but last night, there's no doubt, you know, with everything stacked up against us, the losing streak, no cam, you could have easily got absolutely throttled and you know, they didn't. And that's, once again, that's, that's why you feel for the kids because they literally are giving everything they have. Let's talk about one positive about that game, too. You and I were talking about this yeah. a little while ago, and that's that's Ivan. I yeah. mean, I just continue to be so impressed. We got Iowa and Michigan State in here. He's having to battle Garza and, yeah. and Smith and Tillman and Oturu. Yeah. I mean, that just doesn't stop for him and Kev, too. But – Ivan, I thought, played maybe his best game as a Husker yeah. last night. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, he, he hit a wall a couple weeks ago, um, wasn't finishing, just seemed like a lot of things weren't going his way, and really he's rebounded so well, um, you know, with his approach. And uh, the one thing about him, like last night, um, I know Kofi well. He went to high school in New York, recruiting when I was at St. John's, and Ivan's like a good 42 months younger than Kofi they are both freshmen so to put that in perspective the way he battled him uh Kofi deserves all the praise with an incredible year he's having but I mean I thought Ivan literally battled him blow to blow for pretty much the entire game Kofi towards the end had it going a little bit and scored a couple easy baskets but for the most part um you know you didn't you didn't know which one was which and that's so encouraging for a kid that works so hard and um you know, just literally puts his head down and, and comes to work every day and tries to do everything that's that's asked of him. And, you know, I know for us we're, we're really excited about his future and what he can bring. And, um, you know, it's, it's certainly encouraging when he's battling these guys. Uh, he's uh, he's asked a, a tall task to go up against some of the best bigs in the country and, and does it and, and, and has been doing it well as of late. Couldn't couldn't say it any better. Eight six six Husker one. The number eight six six four eight seven five three seven one. Let's pick off a call before we hit our first break. We go out to Plattsmith and talk to Drew. Hey Drew. Hey coach. I know you're kind of the the recruiting guy. I was just curious if you could maybe talk about uh, the current 2020 class. I know you can't mention names, and uh, we have a couple of JUCO guys committed. Um, what are we? What else are we targeting? Like numbers wise, in addition to the two you have committed. Um, are you looking to sign three, four, five? I know there's two high school names out there and a, and a grad 
transfer or possible transfer that we're looking at. But just wondering if you can not comment on names or yeah. maybe numbers wise, what and position wise, what you guys want to bring in. So thank you. Yeah, appreciate. Thanks, Thanks for the call. Um, you know what? At the end of the day, I've never really gone with the approach of. Um, the amount of guys we're bringing in really our jobs to continue to elevate the talent of the program. So um, we are involved with some really high, highly talented kids and feel at this point really confident about where we're at with them. Um, hopefully in the next 30 days, there's clarity and um, you know, we're, we're getting more commitments um, you know, at the end of the day with, um, where we're at with with where we're at with the kids on board, um, you know, we can't speak specifically, but you know, the one thing that I feel really good about with the three kids sitting out, um, you know, eventually a class that when it finishes, we're going to have the size to compete in the Big Ten. We're going to have the athleticism to play that style of play we want to play. We're going to have the three point shooting to play the way that coach wants to play. And when you start mixing all that together, that's when you really start seeing the system in place. You're seeing pockets of it right now with the group. Um, but, yeah, you, the one thing is my my whole mindset with recruiting is it's 365 days. There's names that come across literally every day for me, especially being extremely active and aggressive in the transfer market. And that's never going to stop. And if it makes sense for Nebraska, if it makes sense for our program, we're always going to turn over every rock and, and um, you know, and, and see where it takes us. So I, I know for, for me and, and for Coach, we're unbelievably encouraged about what we can uh, add and, and finish off on what could be a great class. Tonight, it's the Nebraska Women's Basketball Show right here on the Husker Sports Network. Now the Huskers will reset and away out top around a Kate Kane screen with four, with three. Great oh, pass. pass to Kane! Maybe the pass of the year! Anna Whitey's with a no-look feed on the screen and roll. Our weekly look inside Husker Women's Basketball. And the rebound for Leah Brown. He's coming down the middle of the four. No-look pass underneath. Grace Mitchell will score! And it counts! And a foul! Grace Mitchell ran the floor in her senior day and gets the end one. With the head coach, Amy Williams. Works with the left hand to the left elbow. Leah Brown, deep three on the left wing. You betcha! Leah has tied her career high with her fourth triple. Now here's your host, Matt Coatney. Hey, welcome to the Nebraska Women's Basketball Radio Hour. Matt Coatney along with Amy Williams. I'm so excited to host this show tonight, especially after the Nebraska men's basketball hour. There is a lot going on down here in the Haymarket tonight of Lincoln. There's the Nebraska men's basketball show, the Nebraska women's basketball show. Uh, we're going to have Debbie Antonelli on here tonight, who I've been wanting to have on for a couple of years, Amy Williams. But... The top news that I don't know if Ben McLaughlin brought this up in the first two hours. There's a concert going on down here in the Haymarket tonight. It's, it's a, it, it, folks, if you're in outstate Nebraska and you've never been down here in Lincoln, uh, if you think a Tuesday night is boring in Lincoln, tonight, David Lee Roth <laughs> is opening for the surviving members of the Wreck of Kiss. And I think a, a minimum of two. Two original members of KISS are here tonight. Now, I, I have been with you, Amy Williams, for four years. Yeah. And I know of your love for New Edition, and I know of your love of, of 90s music, but I've never really talked to you about uh, KISS 
or David Lee Roth? Do you have an opinion? Yeah. Do you have a sense? It's because um, you're not there tonight. You didn't no, call out sick from this no, show. Okay. I did not. Okay. I did not. So I have respect. But okay. it wasn't in my um, CD collection. Let's just put it that way. Wasn't on your KTEL cassette tapes. Nope. No, I don't know. You were you were post cassette tapes, really? Yeah, were you? I actually kind of got into it um, as a youngster with all the cassette tapes and recording yeah. recording Casey Kasem's top four. Oh, you know, really? Cord and oh, <laughs> we have a lot to talk about on the bus sometimes. Yeah. Well, let's get back to why we're here. Eight six six Husker one is the number. Eight six six four eight seven five three seven one. If you'd like to visit with Coach Williams, the Huskers have seventeen wins. And they're seven and ten in the Big Ten, and they had a great Senior Day win over the Fighting Illini of Illinois, eighty to fifty-eight Saturday, and they will play the Indiana Hoosiers on Thursday at five p.m. Central, which you think is an odd time for a basketball game, but as I pointed out to Coach last week, that means you have a chance of making it home for the late local news here in Lincoln, yeah. with the way travel goes. So that's awesome. Really nice. Uh, just a great senior day, I thought, Saturday at Pinnacle Bank Arena. The weather was great. I thought you had a wonderful crowd out there. And my goodness, you hit 11 three-pointers in the first half out of 16 attempts. Uh, just as a, uh, a note of comparison against Ohio State previously, your team had missed their first 16 three-pointers. What, what happened for such a dramatic change in the three-point baskets? I, I don't know. Go ahead and say it, Matt. We're bipolar. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, oh for our first 18 at Ohio State and yeah. then come back home and 11 for your first 16 in, in that Illinois game. I thought really we got great shots. Um, we played with pace in that game, and so we were able to catch and shoot in rhythm a little bit. So, um, But also, you know, just being in the friendly confines of your kind of home arena and stuff, um, we were our kids were very motivated to want to have a great senior night for our seniors um play in front of the most amazing fan base in the country and then um you know just i think you know playing at home really had something to do with it well the 13 threes in the game tied for the fourth most in program history and so the trick here is to take that shooting performance and continue it from here on out, right? That's right. That's the plan. That's the game plan. So we've been um, able to, you know, spend quite a bit of time here lately just working on, um, you know, game speed shots. And I think our kids are, are feeling pretty in rhythm right now. 866-HUSKER-1 if you'd like to visit with Coach Williams as she knocks on the desk. I think this is for Micah. I don't think this is <laughs> it's what not – You want to come knock me in the head, you'd not. have a better chance over there. <laughs> Amy, I really thought your underclassmen came to play for your four seniors. You kind of mentioned it uh, a little bit ago. In particular, two sophomores, Leah Brown and Ashton Verbeek. Uh, Ash looked like she was possessed in the first half. She came out – season-high 15 points, and then Leah Brown had 22 in the game against the Illini. And the emotion that I saw in that uh, post-game senior day ceremony, genuine, so genuine. Did did you get the sense that those underclassmen really were trying to play for their seniors? Yeah, I, I really believe that. I think um, this is a special group of seniors and they've meant a lot, you know, each kind of in their own way to um, this program and to the underclassmen that are in it. And I think um, uh, that respect is earned and those young ladies that um, kind of um, 
are are going to be returning uh, to the program, you know, and knowing that, you know, that those seniors, they wanted to do whatever they could to lay it on the line for them. Nebraska erupted for its best first half of the season. 56 points, y'all poured in there. That's the 10th best first half point total in in school history. And you're doing this without Taylor Kissinger, who has missed the entire Big Ten schedule. Sometimes when people have asked me about uh, the team when I'm out in town or out in a restaurant, I remind them, I'm like, don't forget, it's a pretty big piece sitting on the bench over there. But to to do what they did against the Fighting Illini, especially from, from downtown, it's got to be pretty impressive without Taylor. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that's something that, um, you know, we've been striving for consistency with that perimeter shooting and, and particularly with one of the best in the country that's, you know, unavailable to us um, right now. And and so our kids have been working hard at that. We haven't had the consistency that we would like, but um, to watch what we're capable of, um, I think that's a confidence boost. And I think um, heading into this stretch and, and, you know, the last game of the season, here this week and postseason play I think our kids um, need that confidence boost needed to see the ball go in the basket at a high clip and know that we're, we're capable of that 866-HUSKER-1 is the number if you'd like to visit with Coach Williams tonight on the Nebraska Women's Basketball Radio Hour I want to talk a bit about defense your defense held its fifth straight Big Ten opponent to 65 points or less and it, it doesn't seem like it's as much about the opponent as what your team is doing um, is it fair to say this metric of 65 points or, or less demonstrate an overall improvement in team defense from the start of the year or may, maybe even from last year? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think they're really making a commitment to, you know, being a great team defensive um, unit and um, trying to play together and, and um, uh they, they want to take pride on that end, and they know that we've been in every ball game because of our defensive effort. Um, I think um, that that's something that you know just has to be instilled. It has to be something that your your upperclassmen really commit to, and it trickles down. and And I think um, they've they've worked very very hard to try to get better in that area. I still think you know as a coaching staff, we're always pushing for even more and even better. And you know this possession here, we could we could have done this better. And and um, but I think uh, it's something that um, is showing the work that they've been putting towards it. 